Well, we should pray and then we'll get into it. Get your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. Father, I just uh, thank you that you've given us a new day to love you, to be with you, Lord, to worship you, to enjoy fellowship with you. Lord, I just pray that you help us to submit to you, that your spirit would be in control of our lives, ruling our lives, empowering our lives, Lord, so that we wouldn't be following the desires of our sinful nature, but we'd be doing things by your strength and in your ability and in your wisdom and in your love. And I just pray that you help us not to be relying on ourselves, but to be relying on you. And Lord, I also just pray, Father, that you would teach us dependence on you and help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray that there'll be much fruit coming from our relationships with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm loving this little book. A quick introduction or revision. Last week was the first week. Now, who's the main character? It's... Ruth, yes. So Ruth is the main character. She represents who? The church, yes. Ruth represents the church. And her name means friendship. And she's also the great-grandmother of King David. She's a picture, type, or representative of us, the bride of Christ, the church. Now, who's the hero? The hero is... Boaz, yeah. So Boaz is a picture of Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, our Goel. And Boaz acted in grace to redeem Ruth. And Christ acted in grace by giving himself as the redeemer to provide redemption for all mankind. So that's a big picture. So as we go through the book of Ruth, we're going to see all this played out. And it's a picture of what Christ has done for us. He's fully redeemed us at great cost to himself, when we were completely helpless and hopeless, and there was nothing in it for himself. And did you know that this is a picture of why Jesus has to share his inheritance with us? And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So you might be wondering why, or you might have in the past wondered why, Why am I an heir of everything that Christ has? Well, this is it. Ruth is going to help us to understand that. So, one more little thing as we go through. You know, there's different literary styles in the Bible. Well, this is dialogue. 59 of the 84 verses in the book of Ruth contain dialogue. It's people talking to each other, and that will start in verse 8. This book is communicated to us by recording people's conversations. Now, one of the points from last week, as we went through the first five verses, was that the best place to be is in the will of God. But we found out that that doesn't mean that being in the will of God is the easiest place to be. In fact, being in the will of God often brings many challenges as God tests our faith. But we also discovered that if we quit, if we seek our own will, priorities, comfort and desires over our relationship with God, it will only lead to emptiness, a broken life, despair and depression in the end with no reward and no spiritual growth, just like we saw last week with Naomi. However, God is so merciful and when we come to our senses, like the prodigal son, then we find forgiveness and restoration back into relationship with God. 
And I just wanted to share this verse because the book of Ruth is all about grace overall. The big picture is all about grace. And as we go through, you'll see that. But one of the New Testament verses that talks about grace a lot is Ephesians 2, 3 to 7. It says, All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ, and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 7, So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all He has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. So, what's God all about? It's about grace. Our relationship with God is all about grace. And we're going to be learning about God's grace for eternity. It's such a big topic. So, we get a chance to start now. All right, so the thing that happens in chapter 1 that we're going to cover today is Naomi returns to Israel and she tries to get her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, to return to Moab. So I'm just going to start by reading all of Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Marlon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. That's where we finished last week. So verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight, and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. 
Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened, when they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So that's Ruth chapter 1. This is all about Naomi seeking a home by faith. She's a picture of the prodigal daughter. Now, overall, they're on the way back to Bethlehem. And Naomi thinks that the best thing to do for her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, is to send them back to Moab so they can get married. But Ruth says, no, I'm going to go with you. So let's get into it. Let's start in verse 6 and read verse 6 and 7. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So, verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. Now, what does Elimelech's name mean? It means, My God is King. Now, he's dead, and her two sons are dead. And now Naomi finally realizes that her family going to Moab was an unmitigated disaster. It was the wrong thing to do. And at last, she's longing to go back home to Bethlehem. And the next part of verse 6, For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So here's Naomi. She's in Moab. She's in misery and rebellion. And she hears reports of how God was blessing Bethlehem. And that's the way it always is. Those who waited it out in Bethlehem were blessed. What does Isaiah forty thirty one say? Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. It's not might renew their strength, it's will renew their strength. Second Chronicles 6 tells us, If God's people turn away from him, he will stop the rain and curse the land. But the next chapter goes on to say that if his people humble themselves and pray, he will hear from heaven and heal the land. So, while the nation was evil, 
God spoke to one of the judges, one of the people living there, and raised up one of the judges. This judge, most likely Gideon, called the people to repent, restored the land, defeated the enemies, and now, instead of being in a place of famine with no food, now they have food. And they're being led by this judge. There's peace in the land again. Now, when did Naomi start to listen? When did Naomi's attention start to come back to Bethlehem? It's when Naomi started going through suffering that God started taking things away from Naomi. And I want to just stress this point that this story is not showing God punishing Naomi for wandering off to Moab. Her loss was not punitive, it was corrective. So what's the difference? Well, God's allowing this to happen to her, her losing her husband and two sons. Its purpose was to get her back on track, back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, back to Judah, the place of praise. In other words, God is looking to get Naomi abiding in him again. So I just want to emphasize this, that in your life and my life, when there's loss, it's not for punishment. Now, think about that. If it was, and it's not, then it could never, ever be severe enough. If God was punishing us for our sins, our mistakes, then, you know, it would have to be a lot worse than what we're getting. How much punishment should we receive for our sins? Well, we deserve to be totally consumed. The good news is that all the punishment for our sin was put on Jesus who died in our place. So when we go through hard times, it's not ever God punishing us for our sins. Our punishment has already been paid for by Jesus. What we go through, the situations, the circumstances that God allows for us is corrective. And we'll go more into that later. But if you have been in a place of loss, just remember this, that you are experiencing loss, not because God is mad with you, not because he's angry with you, not because he's disappointed in you, but because he wants to speak to you. Does that make sense? So you are not experiencing loss because God is mad at you or he's angry with you or disappointed in you, but because he wants to speak to you. He's trying to get your attention. And so God is removing those other idols and other distractions that are keeping us from loving him. God wants us to come back into relationship with him so we can again experience his love, peace, patience, joy, and all those beautiful fruits of the Spirit. And again, it's just important that we have this perspective. Otherwise, we can become bitter towards God and others. So always remember that God is speaking to us, but are we listening? So when things happen in our lives, it's God speaking to us, but are we listening? Verse 7. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now, here we come to one of the things I spoke about last week, and one of the key things in the book of Ruth is repentance. It's the word return. And it's used several times. It's a great illustration of repentance. Naomi reversed 
the direction she and her husband had taken. She turned away from Moab and the errors of the past. She turned her back on the tragic graves of her loved ones and headed back to Judah, her homeland. And I just want to remind us that if we love anything more than God, like Elimelech did, it will lead us astray. We are breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So in fact, any time we aren't abiding in Christ, which means making Jesus the most important part of our lives, we are breaking the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. It's pretty simple. If we love something more than Jesus, then we won't follow Jesus. Instead, we'll pursue what we love the most. Now, it could be our family, our husband, wife, children, education, sport, food, comfort, money, and even ministry. The bottom line is anything that crowds out Jesus, that reduces the time you spend with Jesus, and therefore affects your relationship with God is bad, even if it is good, because it is not what is the best. So, anything that affects your relationship with God is bad, even if it is good, because it is not what is best. So we need to focus on what's best, not just what is good. And think of what Jesus said to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. They seemed to be the model church. They seemed to be doing everything just right. And they had all the doctrines just right. They were, you know, picking up on these false prophets and all that kind of stuff. But the problem was that their hearts weren't right. They were becoming like the Pharisees, harsh and critical of others. And a couple of weeks ago, I went through the three important things that are necessary for our Christian walk. The first one was relationship. The second one was relationship. And the third one was relationship. And I'm just going to read Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 from the Amplified Version. It says, But I have this one charge to make against you, that you have left, abandoned the love that you had at first. You have deserted me, your first love. Remember then from what heights you have fallen. Repent, change the inner man to meet God's will, and do the works you did previously. When you first knew the Lord, or else I will visit you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you change your mind and repent. Now there's another picture here that we can get from these verses. Naomi as the prodigal daughter, and she's heading home. Now what does that remind you of? That passage in the New Testament? It's the prodigal son in Luke 15. I'll read it in a bit. So when the prodigal son, after leaving his father's house, he goes to a far country and spends his father's fortune on wine, women, and song. But he finally comes to his senses. And when he does, he realizes that he's sitting in a pig pen eating pig slop. Not a good place to be. Now, the difference between a prodigal and a pig, or the saved and the unsaved, is that Although the prodigal might spend some time in the pig pen, he doesn't make it his home. So if the pig pen is your home today and you're quite comfortable there, you need to seriously evaluate your relationship with your father, if he is your father. But if you find yourself in the pig pen today wanting desperately to get out, take hope. Take the first step back home to your father and, like the prodigal son, you will see him running to meet you. 
And I've got a quote from John Corson. He says, The only time in the Bible when God is seen to be in a hurry is in the person of the prodigal son's father who hitched up his robes and ran down the road with abandon to meet his son. What a beautiful picture of restoration, redemption, renewal and revival. That's our father. So this is what's happening with Naomi. She's repenting. She's realizing she's living in the pig slops and she's coming back. So just to reinforce this idea of repentance and coming to our senses and leaving behind the mess that we might have made for ourselves, I'd like to read Luke 15, 11 to 24. So that says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. So, just to help you understand that the father is desiring relationship with us. And he's just waiting for us to come to our senses, whatever that thing might be that is distracting us from him, keeping us from a full relationship with him. So verse 8 in Ruth, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So, they're walking back to Bethlehem. And Naomi is probably thinking as she's walking, Why are you traveling with me? I'm going back with nothing, and I'm going back to nothing. I lost everything in Moab, but you have been good, kind, gracious, and loyal to me. May the Lord bless you. Now go back to your people. She's probably being unselfish in the way she's talking to her daughters-in-law. And I just want to bring out one of the words here. The Lord deal kindly with you. And that in the Hebrew is 
Hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And it's an important word and one of the main principles in the book of Ruth. You'll see it again and again. And also in the whole Old Testament, it speaks of God's covenant loyalty to his people. It involves grace in that it was extended, even when it was not deserved. And what we see here is that God is demonstrating kindness and loyalty and grace to people, but also we can demonstrate kindness, loyalty, and grace to other people. So Naomi is saying to the two daughters-in-law, hey, you've been loyal to me. You've shown grace to me. You've been kind to me. Thank you. And then in verse 9, Naomi asked that God would give each of them a place of rest with another husband so they could basically remarry. And this becomes a key issue in the book of Ruth. Marriage means security for a woman in those days. So just like we find our security in our marriage to Christ when we become a part of the bride, when we are saved, so Naomi wanted them to find security. I think the mistake that Naomi was making was that, yes, she was thinking of what was best for them, but not eternally what was best. She was guiding them to find rest and fulfillment in the world and not in God. And here's an application and because I think that we can be well-meaning but wrong in some of the things we put as priorities. For example, we can do the same thing with our children. You need to work hard in school so you can get a good job and so you won't be poor and so you can be successful. If we are prioritizing that and saying that more than always remember children, the most important thing in life is your relationship with God. Nothing else matters. It is the source of love, joy, contentment, and eternal security. Always put God first. So if we're not saying that very much, but we're always going on about, oh, you need to get money to get a job and be secure, then what are we communicating to our kids? Are we sending our children back to Moab to live in the world, to find our security in the temporary things of the world, and ultimately live and become like the world. So education, yes, it's important, but it's not the most important thing. Our relationship with God is. God will take care of us. All right, verse 10. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they are grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? Now, what is Naomi talking about? It sounds confusing. But in their culture, the practice was, if a woman lost her husband, it was the responsibility of the younger unmarried brother or married brother to marry his sister-in-law. Their children would then bear the name of the deceased brother. And we find that in Deuteronomy 25. I'll read it in a bit. So in other words, Naomi is saying, even if I married right now and bore sons, it would be ridiculous for you to wait until they're old enough to assume the responsibility of marrying you. In other words, there's no chance for you of a husband or an inheritance if you come to Israel. You're just going to be wandering around as widows, 
having to fend for yourself. No security. So stay in Moab where you can easily marry someone else from your own country. So just so we understand what Naomi is thinking when she's saying this, we'll read the verses from Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verses 5 and 10. It says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So basically what that first part there is saying, it's the duty, the responsibility, what's expected of the younger brother is to marry the older brother's wife, have a child, and that child would then be called after the other brother, the older brother's name, the dead brother's name. And he would be responsible for restoring the inheritance for the other brother. Now, those verses continue in Deuteronomy, verse 7, in Deuteronomy 25. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So it shall be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. And that actually happens later on. We'll see that. So, verse 13, second part, says, No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Is that true? Is God against Naomi? No. Yes, we have felt the brutal, bitter repercussions or consequences of being in Moab, but God is not against you. He has a good plan for you, a divine design. He is at work. He even takes our backsliding blunders and is able to transform them into beautiful blossoms. It's an amazing thing. It's called redemption. God gives us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And that's God's will. When we get messed up in the world, when we get off track, then what God wants for us is not to be against us, but to be for us, to bring us back. He wants to Give us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And that's Isaiah 61, verse 3. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Orpah return to Moab, and we don't hear anything else about her. We assume that she remarried in Moab and continued worshipping the temporary god Chemosh and finding temporary security in a temporary husband. But Ruth does the unexpected. Though Orpah chose to seek a husband and follow the gods of the land, Ruth clung to Naomi. 
choosing to follow and serve her widowed mother-in-law rather than seek a husband. Now, what does this mean for Ruth? This is a big decision for Ruth. Ruth is giving up her security. She's giving up, in her mind, any hope of having a husband or children. So why is she doing this? Well, later on we're going to see it's for God. She says, your God will be my God. And for me, this is a picture of giving up worldly security and seeking our security in God. Instead of putting her hope in this temporary world, Ruth was putting her hope in the eternal God. She was giving it all up. And you know, for many people who become a Christian, it means giving up security in this world. You know, if you're a Muslim or Buddhist or a Hindu or something like that, often you'll be kicked out of the family, sometimes killed. Whatever happens, you're out of that society. You're finished. And you need to be trusting God to provide for you. So in this verse, we see Naomi grieving, Orpah leaving, and Ruth cleaving. And Orpah shows the reaction of a false convert. So I'll say that again. Orpah shows the reaction of a false convert. Now, what is the reaction of a false convert? Much emotion, but no devotion. So I'll say it again. Much emotion, but no devotion. And secondly, there's lots of conviction, but no commitment. So Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower in Mark 4. I won't read it now. I'll just summarize it. So some hear the word and spring up quickly, but when the hot sun comes out, they dry up and wither away because they have no roots. So what this is describing is some people, they believe in an intellectual type of way and they get totally excited when they hear a sermon or a testimony or a concert, but their roots are not grounded in the Word of God. There is no devotional life, simply an emotional hype. It's just emotion. And when the hard times come, when there's a price to pay to follow Jesus, like Orpah, they just turn away. They disappear. They reveal their true colors. They never actually left the world. There's never true repentance. Ruth, on the other hand, cleaves to Naomi, but more importantly, she cleaves to God. And the same remains true for today. There are those who kiss with emotion, but others who cleave with devotion. The Bible indicates that God isn't impressed with how high we jump, but how straight we walk. That's another way of looking at it. So Ruth stayed with Naomi. She walked the walk. Now we get on to these awesome verses in verse 16 and 17. It says, But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God my God, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So before we look at this, how it relates to Naomi and Ruth, I want to relate it to us as a body of Christ. Notice that when we commit ourselves to God, it also means committing ourselves to the people of God. Their lot becomes my lot. Their life becomes my life in the sense that we share each other's burdens and we depend on each other. We need each other. We must cleave to each other because we need each other. 
as the scriptures say in the New Testament, if one member suffers, all the members suffer. So, in verse 16, so far, three times Naomi has asked Ruth to return home to Moab. But Ruth chose life with Naomi and her God. And what is she giving up? She's giving up her own family. So Ruth is giving up her own family in Moab. She's giving up her national identity. And she's giving up her religious idolatry. And this is one of the most beautiful expressions of commitment in all the world's literature. So Ruth linked her future to Naomi, to Israel, and more importantly, to God. And this is what an example of a complete break with the past looks like. What is required to become a disciple of Christ. To become a disciple of Christ, you need to have a complete break with the past. And there's lots of parables that Jesus told about that in the New Testament. So like Abraham, Ruth decided to leave her old life completely and her way of living behind and go to the land of promise. One more thing. How do we know that Ruth meant what she said? Well, the way she lived her life and the decisions she made showed that her life matched her confession. She was a true convert. As we go through, we'll see that what she says here is not just words, but it's true repentance. Now, there's another encouraging application here. I'm going to quote John Corson again. He says, referring to Ruth, Even if God's hand is against you, Naomi, Ruth said, the worst God gives is better than the best the world offers. So, just to paraphrase, Even if God's hand is against you, Naomi, Ruth said, the worst God gives is better than the best the world offers. And that's a beautiful sentiment expressed by Ruth. But what was Ruth looking at? She was looking at a broken Naomi. She wasn't looking at someone who had it all together. But what was it about Naomi that was attracting Ruth to make this decision here and now as they're on the way to Bethlehem? What's stopping her from going back to Moab? What is it about Naomi? Well, Naomi is broken. She's demonstrating repentance. And as we do that, as we allow people to see our brokenness and our humanity and our weakness, and we demonstrate repentance, we demonstrate change and growth, then people will follow us into the kingdom. So Naomi realized that she herself needed to get back to the Lord. She was actively drawing near to the Lord. And so at this stage of her life, she's living a life of continual repentance and change. And that is the person that the unsaved person will see as the real thing. When people see you change, when people see you fall, but then get up and repent and continue on, then they will want what you've got. So if you've been in a place where you haven't been what you should be or doing what you should do, don't hide it. Don't be ashamed of your failures. Be real. Use your failures as an opportunity, like Naomi, to bring someone back with you. And that applies to our families as well. Don't try and have this reputation that I'm a great Christian. Look, don't sugarcoat your life. Just be real. Let people see the struggles you go through, and they will see that you're real and that you really are trusting in God and that God is working in your life. 
Alright, verse 18. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. So, here is the backslider, Naomi, returning home, and the outsider, Ruth, coming home. And they're coming home together to the house of bread, to Bethlehem. And the second part of 19. And it happened, when they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Now, Naomi's name means pleasant. So, is this pleasant? Asked Naomi's neighbors with amazement. Look at the lines in her face and the sadness in her eyes. Look at how much she's aged. It's not really a nice comment, is it? Naomi replies, you remember, she's come back without God is my king. Her husband is dead. The effects of sin are bitter upon her. So she says, later on the next verse, she says, call me Mara. So, verse 20, but she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So, Naomi, her name is Pleasant, says to these ladies, that's not my name anymore, call me Mara, call me Bitter, for the Lord has dealt severely with me. To get my attention, heavy things have happened to me. Now, Naomi is not really complaining, she's confessing. She's acknowledging the chastening hand of God upon her life. And I'd like to read a section from Hebrews 12, 6-9. It says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? So Naomi is recognizing that she's been disciplined by God. Now, I'm going to read verse 21, the first part, and this is a really good verse to highlight in your Bible. It says, I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again, empty. So there's two things here. I went out full, and I came back empty. It shows the loss that we experience because of sin. But there's also a promise. The Lord brought me home again. So even though we come back empty, even though we come back with loss in our lives, we still come home again. So this is the reason backsliding, choosing the world over God, is so ridiculous, stupid and not worth it. When you leave Bethlehem Judah, which means the house of bread and the place of praise, and wander off to spend time in Moab, a picture of the world, you will always leave full but come back empty. Sin always brings sorrow and sadness. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And that's Galatians 6 verse 7. So if you're going to get into sin, don't be surprised when it brings death to your life. So Naomi went through 10 years of proverbial hell on earth and would carry the scars for the rest of her life because she left the land of the true and living God. Now, I'm going to have a little maths lesson. Are you all up for some maths? You reckon you can do some maths today? Good. All right. The mathematics of sin are always the same. Are you ready? For sin adds to your sorrows, 
subtracts from your energy, multiplies your troubles, and divides your loyalty. So I'll read it again. The mathematics of sin are always the same, for sin adds to your sorrows, subtracts from your energy, multiplies your troubles, and divides your loyalty. So there's a mass lesson for today. <laughs> so Naomi went out full, but returned empty. But praise the Lord, the remaining three chapters of the book of Ruth will demonstrate um, Chronicle Naomi's refilling and recharging as the Lord renews and revives her. So although she's not the main character of the story, her story is still really important and we can learn a lot from her. Why? Because we all make mistakes sometimes. So it's not the fact that we fall that is important, but our response to our failing, to our stumbling. Will I humble myself and repent? Or will I try to hide my sin and pretend to be holy and good, trying to manufacture a false reputation? Right, second part of verse 21 says, Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Again, Naomi has this wrong. God is not against her. He's for her, even in the consequences and repercussions of her own choices. Now, I'd like to read a couple of verses from Romans here. You find these familiar, but it's important that we understand this. Romans chapter 8, 31 to 37. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Verse 35. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? So I just read that bit again. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. And the answer to all those questions is in verse 37. It says, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So, always remember that God is always for you and never against you. The hard times we go through, the difficult circumstances we go through, are from a loving God who is doing one of two things. If we're sinning, he's directing us back to himself to come back into that love relationship with himself. Or, if we're walking in faith, already abiding in him, he'll give us hard times, he'll give us difficult circumstances so we can grow in our faith, so we can experience a deeper and more glorious relationship with God. Right, verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite has her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. This is a good thing. They've returned. Now, application here. Often when we backslide, the tragedy is that we take others with us. For example, Peter. In the New Testament, he said, I'm going fishing. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough to follow Jesus Christ any longer. And you can reference John chapter 21, verse 3. And what did the other disciples say? 
We'll go with you, they said, as I boarded the boat of backsliding together. <laughs> so we'll go with you, they said, as I boarded the boat of backsliding together. They were going back to their old life. But fortunately, the opposite is also true. Here is Naomi coming back, returning to the place of blessing. And look, she is bringing Ruth with her. Ruth, who will be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. Ruth, who becomes an illustration of the body of Christ. Ruth is brought into the land of promise by a broken Naomi. And I just want to remind us that when was Ruth brought into this place of blessing? When did she repent? When did she believe? It wasn't when she was impressed with Naomi's pleasantness and perfectness when she first went to the land of Moab. It was when she saw Naomi's brokenness and bitterness and repentance. So here is a bit of an application for us. If we always present ourselves as being all together and not needing anything and, you know, we're all fine, then people can't relate to us because they all have problems. You Christians, I don't know about you, but, you know, you live in a different world. You know, in my world, we have problems. So when we try hard to present ourselves as being like perfect and have our lives all worked out, it gives a false impression and people can't relate to us. We know that we're not perfect, so who are we trying to kid? We all know we have problems and weaknesses, temptations and difficulties, and yet a lot of us try to cultivate this impeccable image to present to the world. So I suggest to you that people are touched and moved not when you and I preach from the pulpit of perfection, but rather when we share from the place of brokenness and humility, not pointing to our togetherness, but to God's graciousness. So when other people around us, unbelievers, can see that we are real, that we have weaknesses and vulnerabilities, but we are changing, and God is changing us, then they can be drawn to follow him with us. And Paul said, But we have this treasure, Jesus, in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's 2 Corinthians 4, seven. The temptation is to cover up the earthiness or brokenness of our vessels by painting them, glazing them, shining them, polishing them, and then wonder why no one's getting saved. The reason is that the attention is on the earthen vessel and not on the treasure within. We need to exalt Christ. The more broken we are, the more the light shines out. The more cracks there are in our jar, the more people see that we're human and we've got all these faults and failings and temptations and that we're just as weak as everybody else. But the only difference is we have Christ. And then people will start to respond. They'll see that he is the one who's rescued us, who redeems us, who strengthened us, who has been so good to us. So, Point people to Jesus by being real about who you are and about your struggles. Now, if you're in Moab and you've been there for a long time, even though you left full and are now come back empty, know this. First of all, God can still use you. He will revive you and refill you. And as you come back and repent, you can actually draw people back with you. And that's a testimony of a lot of people who have been involved in drugs and stuff like that. They can use that to bring people to the Lord. Now, am I suggesting that we should sin in order to be relatable? 
<laughs> should we purposely go and do something stupid and then repent so people can come back with us? No. Romans 6.2 says, God forbid. No way. Absolutely not. If you do, you're a fool. Now, I know both scripturally and experientially that although God will still love you or me and receive me and bless me, I will carry scars and hurts and pains which are totally unnecessary. So I'm not suggesting we need to sin to be relatable. I'm saying that we need to be very careful that we are not trying to present ourselves only in the best possible light. We need to be real. We need to share with people our setbacks and the hard knocks we've had to go through to learn the lessons that we've learned. So, the last part. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So Naomi and Ruth came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, which is a time of Passover. So, when we bring people to the Lord, we bring them to this place. We bring them through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's where it always starts. When we recognize and realize that Jesus Christ is the one who died for our sin. And that's what Passover is. It's Jesus dying so that we wouldn't have to. His blood is our protection. His blood brings our forgiveness. So 50 days later, during Pentecost, we're going to see Boaz marry Ruth. So this all links into the Old Testament festivals. And the experience of Pentecost is a combination of our salvation when we allow Jesus Christ to fill us and overflow us with his Holy Spirit. So as a summary, the picture here is perfect. Our repentant, broken and humble Naomi took Ruth back to the Passover to the day of the year when it was crystal clear that there would be a coming Savior who would save people from their sins by becoming the penalty for their sins. He himself would become the penalty for their sins. It is only by the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus, that we can have forgiveness of sins. We need to bring people to the cross so that they can see their sinful state and God's cure for their terminal disease called sin. And that cure is, of course, Jesus, our great God and Savior. So, Father, I just thank you for these awesome verses today. Lord, the truth that you've spoken to our hearts. Lord, I pray your spirit will continue to teach us. And as we reflect on this, Lord, that you are never against us. Our sin has consequences. It will cause us much suffering and pain. But when we repent, when we come back to our senses, when we start walking back to you, you will run to us. You are just so in love with us and so concerned for us. Not against us. You're concerned for us. You want us to come back to you. You're never angry with us, Lord, because all that anger was already poured out on Christ. Lord, help us to remember that you just want us to abide in you. And no matter what it takes, you'll do whatever it takes to bring us back to you. So, Lord, help us to realize that you are always speaking to us. These difficult circumstances are also you speaking to us. I pray that we will listen and we will learn and that we won't get bitter and angry but rather we would be thinking, well, what's God showing me here? What's he trying to teach me? How can I grow closer to the Lord in this situation? So I just pray that for those of us who are like Naomi, who have wandered away, we can come back and with repentance, come back to the house of bread, come back and receive forgiveness and protection by the blood of Jesus. So we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.